Hello, my name is Dustin Hosseini, and this is the Digital Education Practices Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tara Chavez. Um, Tara, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Tara Chavez, um, and I work for a large research one university in the southwestern United States, and I teach introduction university success courses for high-risk students. So many of my students are coming back to school after having been out of school for a long time, maybe working, you know, exploring the world, things like that, and then come back to finish their degree. The other student group is your more traditional student who's coming maybe out of high school or secondary school, who's not meeting the admission requirements for the university. So these courses serve as a foundation for them as they move into their respective degree programs. And in addition, I also serve as a practitioner in that I serve as their advisor through this portion of their academic journey as well. So it sounds like you have people who've just left school and then you have um, working adults. Is that what it is? Pretty much. <laughs> okay. And what do you, what, what do they study? So um, they study a wide range of disciplines from business to art. Um, and so what we do is we try to set them up for success on their journey by providing them with things like uh, time management, um, study skills, assignments that are designed to sort of set them up for success in their online program once they go live in their academic courses. And so it's more of a foundational piece of their journey rather than like an academic piece, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. And you mentioned something earlier, which might interest some of the audience. Uh, you said a tier one research institute or? Yes, yeah, so it's uh, just a fancy name for a large, uh, large institution that uh, we get grants from the federal and state government for research. And so a lot of our in-person programs are hands-on research that we're able to publish and use in the real world. Okay, that sounds very interesting. All right. And you're probably one of my first uh, international you know, outside of the UK, uh, people that I'm interviewing. So what are you going to talk about today? So I'd like to address the need for human connection or interaction and how it's changed in digital learning in response to COVID. So in digital education, we always have this idea that we're going to provide high quality online learning, make it accessible and flexible for folks. And we think about engaging students digitally and virtually. But now I find myself kind of thinking about that human connection piece and that interaction piece. Not that that not that we've taken that out of digital learning. I think we've done a really nice job of balancing that out, but it it looks different now with COVID. And I think about kind of, if you think about student populations and break them down into groups, so maybe like high risk, high performing, first gen, and then break them down even more, you'll see that students have different needs. And when COVID happened, I, saw, I, I sort of saw a change in the need structure and suddenly there was this need for everyone to, to feel connected. And I'm, I'm speaking to my own courses, but I, I really think this is a universal and transferable idea that faculty can use in their respective courses. So kind of in thinking of those groups and this need for connectedness, I have an example. I was teaching a kind of just their introductory class, and it's the class that they, they take right before they go into their very first academic course. And the class has a lot of assignments, um, but students are 10 they tend to be uh, quite eager because they're getting ready to start their program. They're excited. And I had, you know, live office hours available through Zoom and students weren't using them at all. I'd be the only one who showed up. So we decided to take them out and then students could request a meeting as needed. And then COVID happened and I was suddenly getting an unusual amount of emails, like a striking amount of emails from students. And their questions weren't necessarily course related, which I also find 
I found that striking as well. And I got this feeling and this sense of uncertainty that they were feeling kind of anxious uh, just about the state of of the world right now. I mean, it was things that had absolutely nothing to do with course content, like I have a form I need to submit to this department, or I need to get in touch with some of my someone in my program. Will will you be will anyone be able to help me if, if campus isn't open? And I found that so interesting that students who were in online programs taking courses online and getting all of their student services online were concerned about that. So in the UK, uh, I know that some people might call this, well, part of it is administrative processes, but then maybe it almost sounds like you're talking about here they would call it pastoral care, which I'm not sure what it is in the U.S., but it's something like welfare, maybe, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, something like that, sure. Because I know earlier you said part of the population you work with is at-risk students. Um, yes. And I should have right. asked you earlier, can you can you define that for us? What does that mean? Sure. And I, and I really, that just means kind of academically at risk. So haven't been in school in a long time or have never done online education or we're not meeting the admission requirements of the university, which as we know is an indicator that the student may need or require additional support. So this, this is that additional support. So you were saying that this kind of surprised you, this sudden kind of rush, well, lots of emails about these different things. And uh, so how did you approach that? So what I noticed was... Instead of the groups getting narrower into those subgroups of students, you know, high risk, uh, you know, maybe students with disabilities or first gen students and things like that, the, the groups got broader, which I thought was really interesting. And what I mean by that, we had the students from the traditional brick and mortar who were doing their in-person classes who are suddenly thrown into digital and online education. And then we have our online students who chose online as their chosen method of learning for lifestyle reasons. Maybe they are busy working already in a career, maybe they have a family, but yet they had the same need of connectedness regardless of what kind of student they were before COVID. How did you kind of approach this problem or what did you do in this case uh, after you noticed this kind of sudden need for connectedness actually? What, what steps did you take or did the university take when they saw this was happening? So, you know, normally we you know, look for student cues and things like that to tell us what changes need to happen. Um, and usually I, I take those from like end of course evaluations, um, but we don't have time to wait for those right now. We're in the midst of what's happening. Um, and then the same thing with indicators. We, students give indicators, let's say, for example, everyone gets the same question wrong on a, on a quiz. We know that's a bad question. We know it needs to be revised. We throw out the question. Or I have an, maybe a number of students who are handing the same assignment in late, so I have to ask, you know, did I give enough time for this assignment and adjust the due date? So those are things that we don't even have to look for because they present themselves and they jump out at us and we just fix them as we go with little or no impact to student experience, really. Whereas okay. this, it took me about two weeks to realize that because nobody came out and said, I really need to talk to someone. I really need connection. They were asking all these questions that didn't have any context to the course. Um, so I remember just sitting and it, it was a realization. It hadn't jumped out at me. It kind of marinated for two weeks. And then I realized that that's what was happening. And so I just, I just finished building a course for students coming, students who are enrolled in secondary school or high school. And I started building the course before COVID. And I just finished it yesterday. And we had to make some changes and adjustment in response to this. And, I, and, and some of what I did was really simple. Like I took out a lot of the text and I added interactives. Um, if you can give the impression of like a synchronous feel or a live feel, even if it's not really live, you know, that helps with engagement. And I feel like students feel like they're 
connected. And so layering things like that in the course that feel really genuine, there is a tool called Yellow Dig. I don't use it in my courses, but they use them in the academic courses. I don't know if you're familiar okay. with it. No, no. Tell us about it and tell us how you kind of approach this. You were talking about the, the layering bit. So making it more, getting the human contact con- connection rather into it. Yeah, absolutely. So what Yellow Dig is, it's um, like a third party software that you can implement into your course. And it's essentially a discussion board. And so I asked myself, why on earth would anyone add this to their course? If there's a discussion board already in the shell, it just, you know, makes more work and students have to learn to use a different tool. And then I went into a course that had it to use it just to check it out. And it was amazing at the connections that students are able to make through this tool. So they can share media like pictures, links, they can create and follow hashtags. And what you see are the is a sense of community happening through the discussion board. And in the larger classes, what was interesting is there are several communities happening through this this use of this software. And so layering things like that into the course, you know, whatever would work for your course. And like for me, we added some videos of real people who work in student support talking to the students. It it can just be as simple as that. And I think as simple as removing text is, I think we're going to see it make a big impact because students are going to be using more of the interactives, hopefully using office hours again, things like that, that they need right now. And in your particular courses, a lot of universities in the UK still use things things like Moodle as a virtual learn environment. Some use Blackboard, some use Canvas, some use a combination of tools like Microsoft Teams or whatever. Where is this learning taking place? It's interesting. The university as a whole uses Canvas. They've moved from Blackboard to Canvas. And then my courses are actually on um, a custom-made LMS. Um, and it sort of mimics, you know, Canvas in, in, in the sense that it's got set up kind of the same way. It looks a little bit different, but we have a little bit more control over how and when we can implement changes. So that's why we use that particular platform. Okay, because you get a bit more control over it um, than the kind of standard university one, I guess. Right. Okay. So tell us about, just walk us through what did the course kind of look like before? Because this is really important, especially for people who are used to just uploading a PowerPoint or, you know, a Word document to a virtual learning environment. What did your course look like before and how did you change it? Sure. So it was very text heavy. And I think the idea around that was, hey, the students are coming to the university. You know, they've got to be, they've got to be able to read. They've got to be able to articulate what they wrote. So lots of reading and writing. There weren't any required physical textbooks, but everything was loaded into the course. And so each module had quite a bit of text that was really comprehensive and designed to really give them all of the information they need, but then also designed to to kind of force them to process that information and then report out in an assignment of some kind. And then when COVID happened and I was sort of getting all these emails and questions, that's when we decided to add more videos with real people, add office hours back in. I don't do this, but we do have a faculty member who every week does an optional live lecture and Q&A. And I think that's brilliant. That's exactly, you know, that's that's the brick and mortar experience online. All right. And um, how is that? How has the uptake been on that particular optional live Q&A? Students are really excited about it. And, you know, some weeks are heavier than others as far as participation, but it's been very successful. And when students find out about it and, and to know it's optional, that they can just kind of log in and it just kind of be a more casual you know, Q&A, just kind of listening to the teacher and 
less than a lecture, but they're still getting that traditional experience. Um, and I think that's where the value is. So it's the connection and the experience piece, which leads to engagement. And we know that students who are engaged do better. So basically, there was a few ways that you've tried to build in this human connection component. The one way was your modules, your, your courses online were mostly text heavy, which is something a lot of places still do. So you're not alone in that. Sure. <laughs> um, and then the kind of optional live Q&A, but also this tool called uh, Yellow Dig, which allowed students to form their own kind of connections between the different re reading resources and so on. Is that what I have so far? Yes. Okay. What have you kind of learned from all of that, this kind of change process? So a couple of things. I think because we got kind of thrust into this as well, I had a misperception that, hey, I work in digital education. This is what we do. It's going to be business as usual. And when it wasn't business as usual, I was kind of taken by surprise. And I think it took some stepping back and reflecting to see that. Uh, that's the first thing. The other thing is I find myself asking questions like, you know, how do I create more engagement? We thought we had it all figured out before this. You know, how do I minimize anxiety? That's not something that I thought about um, outside of academic anxiety for students. Um, how can I re right. remain flexible? You know, those kinds of things. So basically, before coronavirus, COVID-19, the kind of, not welfare, but thinking about what the students might experience and go through was focused mainly on the pressure points of the academic uh, calendar, I guess, right? Right, exactly. And, and we offer support. You know, they're not just out there, but it's such a different kind of anxiety and there's so much uncertainty. And what I gathered from those emails, even though they weren't asking this directly, was, is my education safe? Is everything going to be okay? Like those kinds of things was what I was feeling that they were really asking. Basically, they were wanting perhaps a sense of continuity. Are things going to keep going so that they get some kind of stability in their life, I guess? Exactly. And I think in student support roles and in teaching, there is the potential for compassion fatigue during times like this. I think we see it more in, on the advising side, but if you're a faculty member who is advising or if you're mentoring students or you're just someone who's really engaged, it's just something to be aware of because I know that I'm feeling it. I think that's a whole other topic, but the the compassion fatigue is real. So um, it's just being able to like navigate it and balance it out and making sure you're taking care of yourself and kind of thinking things through, you know, and leaning on your, your colleagues and things like that. Well, actually, since you're on that topic anyway, what would you suggest? Because probably a lot of people might end up going through that anyway, or they have, and they may not know it. So what do you think? What can people do? Because that's still part of the human connection component. But obviously, what, what do you think? Yeah, and that's the danger with this is that if we change human connection and we, we raise the level or we become more interactive, there is the potential for that to happen. And I, I don't have all the answers necessarily, um, but I think things like this, just being able to talk it out with colleagues and to know like, hey, someone from you know across the pond is kind of feeling the same way you are. It gives a real sense of community for us, which I think is also important because there is it, there is a balance and we just have to, I don't know what that is yet, but we I think just talking through it kind of helps with that. No, you're absolutely right. And actually, um, I know that uh, I inadvertently launched an initiative within one of these, well, within the management school where I work by just having the first session was kind of a how to work at home, how to work remotely. <laughs> 
And one of the uh, leaders at that time of our school wrote to me and said, thank you very much for launching this initiative. And I had to read the email a few times, but like, what, what, what did I do? What initiative? You know, what initiative? <laughs> But it's, it's kind of gotten a life of its own. Luckily, now they have a weekly coffee similar to what your, uh, you know, your yours is a, a weekly drop-in that's optional. And that's for sure. students. We have something similar, probably at course level. But for staff, there's like a weekly virtual coffee where people can come and just, you know, have a coffee, chat about different things and kind of decompress a little bit. That's great. I could use one of those for sure. <laughs> well, you do digital education, so you could maybe suggest it. <laughs> I, I, I suggest a new initiative, absolutely. Zoom, Zoom and coffee. You yeah. can call it Zoom and coffee. And then after five o'clock, Zoom and margarita. Exactly. Yes. Well, it's been very enjoyable listening to uh, you know about the human connection component because it is a very important thing. I think people will find value listening to this talk because in the UK, we do have distance learning and digital learning Um but often, and a friend of mine who studied in the U.S. as well, and now she works over here too, had to kind of remind me, we don't usually have two cohorts of students running at the same time where one is online and one is face-to-face. Ah. Yeah. And we don't usually have, in the U.K. at the moment anyway, there is no summer teaching. Okay. There are summer schools, but not where you can just go and take a course or a module. It's something I kind of, we do have it, but it's more for ESL. Uh, they call it English for academic purposes. Okay. But yes, just highlighting some of the differences because there are some very key differences. From a UK perspective, uh, one thing that you are talking about, though, is the pastoral side of things. So it's the kind of non-academic social well-being side of things. And it might be interesting as a way of signing off, what systems or structures do US institutions have in place for that, for students dealing with coronavirus and COVID-19 and social distancing? Sure. You know, because I think that's a good point. We don't, you know, faculty isn't necessarily equipped to do that, right? We're not uh, psychologists or counselors in that respect. So it's important to know where the resources are. And um, particularly at my university, we have on-call counseling services. We have a whole support team for my program. Students just call in if they need anything. We get them the resources they need if it's not something that we provide. Students have a success coach, which is someone that's kind of in between the academic advisor and the support team. They're kind of the catch-all for everything else if a student needs help, um, you know, getting advocated for finances or help with uh, getting in touch with an instructor, things like that. And then they have their academic advisor. So there's a whole team of people, really. I think that students don't know sometimes who to ask. And so they come to us. So if we know who the students need to ask, we can at least point them in the right direction. Okay, no, you're exactly right. I think sometimes, you know, even reflecting on my time as a student, we don't always know as a student what there is unless we want to look for or need to look for it. Like a subject librarian, they're there, but we might not know what they're for. And being a, well, being a kind of faculty member or staff member, I can see exactly what they're for. But when I was a student doing a master's, I was like, oh, subject librarian, what's that for? Right. <laughs> to help you. <laughs> yes, exactly. To help me, to help me find materials, books, resources so that I don't, well, waste lots of time just kind of looking into the void because that's what research can sometimes be like. You know, you're looking for things you might not find. No, it's been very interesting. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed joining in too, uh, because it's always interesting get getting a perspective from, as you said, the other side of the pond as well. So yeah, I sure have. Thank you so much, Dustin, for having me. Thank you very much, Tara. 
and maybe we'll speak again soon. Sounds good. 